What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, I got you in, in, in Revelation 1. I want to look at 1-3 again. Um, and, and, and again, the book is Revelation. It's, it, it's God's desires that he wants to reveal and not conceal. Reveal and not conceal. Um, his desire is to bless. His desire is to speak to his people because he loves us. And look at this in Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word. So guess what? I'm being blessed today. Whether you like my message or not, I'm blessed. And blessed are those who hear, give us ears to hear, and to keep, and to keep. See, a lot of times we hear, but we don't keep. And Jesus warns us of Matthew chapter 7. He's like, man, there's some people, they hear what I say, but they don't do what I do. Those people build their house on sand, and when the wind and rain comes, their house falls because they just heard. They didn't want to keep. But then there's wise people. They hear, and they do. And that house is built on the rock. And when the winds and rains, because the winds and rains, they fall on us all. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, Scripture says. But the houses that stand are built on the rock. We live in a church age that says, how can I take your word and apply it to my life? We have to be, think, think that through for a second. It's a good question, but we have to be careful with that. Because we also apply other things to our life. And there's come some mixture inside of us. So what I like to say is, how can my life come under the word of God? How can every area of my life come under the word of God? So that what I think, what I feel, everything that's going on, boy, it has to come under an alignment to the word of God. If not, I'm in trouble. And this is why I have us here because, listen, some of us don't keep. You are blessed when you keep. Again, we have to quit thinking, oh, Revelation, that book's so hard, that book's so hard, that book's so hard. No, it's not hard. He wants to reveal. He wants to bless. When I think of Revelation 1, you have the resurrected Christ, right? He's not a baby in the manger. He's not a broken man on the cross. That was him, but that's not him now. Who is he now? It's listed here, and you get a glimpse of that. You get a glimpse of the throne room of God in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 19. That's the end of the book where he is going to come and crush his enemies. And so as we're freaked out about Putin and Ukraine, understand, all of God's enemies will be crushed. Maybe this is why you're here today, because you've never bowed your knee to King Jesus. You see that verse? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you can bow now of your own free will and choice or you can bow later, but you will bow. Even Satan will bow. He's the king. He's the king. He's the king. And the book of Revelation gives us the glimpse of the risen king. It brings us in to heaven. And what's going on in heaven? Every time we go in, there is awe, there is wonder, there is worship, there is adoration. And we get to get a glimpse of heaven in the book of Revelation so that we can do what Jesus told us to do. When you pray, pray, may your kingdom come where? On earth, okay? How can we bring that worship service in heaven on earth? How can we do that? What is that like? What does that look like? Well, it looks like you forgetting about yourself. 
magnifying the Lord and giving the Lamb who is worthy of it all, all, all. It's you, Jesus. It's you, Jesus. It's you. It's not me. No flesh glory in your presence, God. No flesh glory in your presence, God. I have you here in Revelation chapter 1. I want you to go down to 12, please. So again, this book is not hard. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. You are going to be able to obey Colossians 3.1, which says this, set your mind on things above, on things above. You're going to be able to do that as you read this book because you're going to become heavenly minded so that's your earthly good. Revelation 1.12, it says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. Remember, we talked about it three weeks ago. Lampstands are the churches. You should have churches written above the lampstands there. And in the midst of the lampstands, Jesus is in the midst of the churches, one like the Son of Man. Now remember, two weeks ago, we talked about the church in Ephesus, and Jesus came with that description. I'm I'm, I'm coming to Ephesus, the one who walks in the midst of the lampstands. Why? Because Ephesus was the church that left their first love, and Jesus was saying, hey, you have great doctrine, you have great ministry that's happening. People's, Paul's handkerchiefs are healing people in Ephesus. Like, really good stuff's going on, but you've forgotten about me. Turn your eyes to me and get lost in my presence. I'm in the midst of the lampstand. I love you. I love you. And that's what that church needed. Jesus is giving a different aspect of himself that's listed in chapter one here to each church. And I want to say to you today that no matter where you are, what you're going through, there's an aspect of the character and nature of God that he's revealing to you today. Some of you need a touch from the Father's love. Some of you need a shepherd I will carry you in his arms, Isaiah 40, 11, and just hold you. Some of you need comfort, and some of you need the one who comes with a sword out of his mouth because you're believing lies about yourself. And when he cuts, he heals. And Jesus comes to this church In Ephesus here, and he says, hey, I'm the one on the lampstands, and let's continue on. I'm clothed, verse 13 of chapter 1 in Revelation, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest, and his hairs ahead were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his mouth was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That's where we are today. Pergamum, the two-edged sword. The two-edged sword. You want to highlight that? His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. We should probably say hallelujah. (laughs) Come on. Death has lost its sting. If you're born again, you're just going to get crossed over. If you're not born again, Bill talked about this. uh, Pastor Bill Rodriguez did a great job last week. These people, if you're not born again, you're going to experience the second death. You'll die twice. Be born again and die once. No born again, you're going to die twice. And we'll talk more of that once we get into the 20s, by the way, in Revelation. And so you see here, I'm the living one. I died in verse 18. I'm alive forevermore. That was what he said to Smyrna last week. Smyrna comes from myrrh. This, this, This group was struggling through persecution the ten waves of persecution, the ten emperors that were persecuting the church at that time. And Jesus says to them, I died too. 
Be faithful to the end. I died too, but I'm alive forevermore. Churches going through persecution and hardship need to know that you are not serving a God that's still on the cross, but you are serving the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords who died and is alive forevermore. And I hold the death. I hold the keys of death in Hades. And what an encouragement to that church. So I want us to flip over to the end, Revelation 19. Some of us have made an idol out of Jesus. We like the flannel graph Jesus that's always gentle and kind and loving. And let me just say, he is that. But we don't like this Jesus we're about to read. We have issues with that. And again, we have to be very careful of making an idol out of God because, again, this is the, he's revealing who he is. So you'll see some of the same stuff in Revelation 1 as you do in Revelation 19. But in 1911, he's coming back to judge his enemies. And I want you to look at verse 15. So he's on this white horse, the rider's faithful, true. 15, he says, from his mouth comes what? Sharp sword with which to what? Strike down the nations. I want you to go down to 21. Revelation 19, 21. There's the rest of the story. The rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is Jesus. He came once as a lamb. They killed him. He didn't do anything wrong. He died on the cross to take away our sins. But when he died, he also rose again. And his resurrected state is in Revelation chapter 1. There's a tribulation that's coming. And there's people through that tribulation that will say, Save us from the wrath of the Lamb. Like they know who's bringing wrath, but they still will not bow down. There's even, I think it's in Revelation 14. We'll get there. Don't fact check me. It's in there. Read the whole book, actually. Go find it. There's angels that are sent out by God. In the midst of the tribulation, in, in the mi- this is the grace of God. And these angels proclaim the gospel. Now, TBN back in the day used to say, hey, that, that, that's the angels. No, that's not the angels, TBN. I guess some of you didn't get that, but uh, satellites are not the angels. Anyway, let's have a lot of TBN supporters here today, but forgive me. Uh, I hope I don't lose you. God is so loving that even in the midst of people's rebellion, that you will not rule over me. He's still, the gospel is still going out. And people will not repent. They will not repent. God has done it all. And we have an issue with the Revelation 19. Jesus at times, like, man, gorge their flesh, destroy, strike the enemies. There's been so much grace. But there's just been so much rebellion And I pray if you're here today and if you've never surrendered your life completely to Jesus and renounced all that you have, pray you would do that today. You would bow down and say, Jesus, I surrender it all. I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I don't have anywhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. I need you, Jesus. I love myself more than I love you. I, whatever it is that you would just come and give your life to Jesus. Let's go to Revelation 2, please. And here we are in this church. Jesus is speaking to. It's a literal church. It's a literal church. But again, and Will, if you go ahead and put the timeline up, I would appreciate it. As we've said before, these literal churches 
are in a specific order. If they were out of order, it wouldn't make sense with the 2,000-year church age that we've already experienced. But since they're in order, we can not only see this was written to the churches there, but it was also a description of the last 2,000 years of church history, which should cause us to be awakened a little bit Wow, how could God know all that stuff was going to happen? Well, because he's God. He's the beginning and the end. Right? It's just like in Isaiah 40 uh, where God says that I I hung, hung the earth upon nothing, that it's a sphere. He sits over the circle of the earth. It wasn't until in the 1400s we figured out, okay, yeah, I guess that was right. It only took man like 3,000 years to get there. But anyway, Ephesus. That was the, the, the first part that we, we went through. The second was Smyrna. Remember last week it said there's going to be 10 days or 10 waves, and that represents 10 emperors. And during this time, there was constant persecution where Christians were being, they would kill animals, they would skin the animals, they would sew them onto the Christians, and they would throw the Christians in the Colosseum and have the animals attack them and eat them. And just really, really horrific stuff that was going on. Now, here's what the enemy knows. When you persecute the church, she gets stronger. When you persecute the church, she gets more pure and holy. And so what happened was, which is amazing, and it's what we need to be aware of, is the next church age, which we're talking about now, Pergamum. And that word means, by the way, per means to mix something, to mix something. Gamos, gamos, polygamy, right? It it, it means marriage, marriage, marriage. A mixed marriage is happening. And so since the enemy was probably getting frustrated that the, the gospel was continuing to explode under horrific persecution. Okay, maybe I can make them compromise. And so Constantine comes, Christianity's now, the religion of Rome. You get tax benefits if you become a Christian. Okay, sign me up. I'm all about saving money. And so because of that mixture... There was compromise that was happening. And so again, this is a specific church that Jesus was writing to, but it also was a description of that church age. They even got to the place in the later times where there was penalties if you were not a Christian, right? So it's like everybody's becoming a Christian because the government was in charge of the church And Constantine was leading the church. Does that make sense? Now, I want you to understand something here that I think we miss in our American Christianity. There's been waves of, look, Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world, so we don't need to worry about government. We need to focus on the kingdom of God. Church, listen, again, Jesus said, may your kingdom come on on where? Earth, as it is in heaven. We do not want the government running our churches. And by the way, that just didn't end in Pergamon. It happened in England while people fled because the the government was running the church. We don't want that. But what we do want is that people from the church begin to influence government so that we can have kingdom principles and kingdom values that come in and think good things happen. So, for example, Abraham Lincoln, Christian, read a book by Harriet Beecher Stowe called Uncle Tom's Cabin. She was a Christian. And when she wrote that novel, by the way, she said, something took over me and I just wrote it. It became the national bestseller. The church rose up, formed this party called the Republican Party, and elected Abraham Lincoln. And slavery ended in our country because the church got involved in politics. Oh, Chris, we don't want to. We don't want to. No, 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 no. We don't want the government 
running the church, but we need the people who are in the church to be involved in government because when there's unrighteous rulers, people suffer. Imagine a born-again Christian leading Russia right now. Be careful of those who say we don't need to be involved in. No, we desperately need to be involved in government. All right, I'm going to move on. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. This is serious here. Jesus is coming into this church, and why is he coming with the two-edged sword? Why not his face shining like the sun? I don't know about you, but I kind of want the face shining like the sun. The sword? The sword? Let's go to verse 13. Revelation 2.13, I know, and again, that Greek word there is not like a constant learning, but it's a full knowing. I completely know. Jesus knows everything about your life. He knows everything about this church. He knows what time my sermon's going to be over, even though I don't know. Help me, Lord. And help you, too. I know where you dwell. I have full knowledge. And, and, and listen, where Satan's throne is. Do you know Satan, the demonic, the enemy, all of those words are used over 250 times in the New Testament. That's almost one for every chapter. When Scripture says our battle's not against flesh and blood, it really means it, guys. There is a war going on. And Jesus here is speaking to the church, and he's saying where Satan's throne is. But then he encourages them. You're holding fast to my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. And by the way, that word witness in the Greek is where we get the word martyr. Martyr witness. He's faithful to death. He was killed among you. And then he says it again, where Satan dwells. So, Will, if you can go ahead and put up the the temple of Zeus. So this is actually in Berlin because some German uh, archaeologists found this um, in Pergamum, but they they brought it to uh, uh, Berlin. They reconstructed it and did all of this. You can go visit it on your next vacation. Just pray before you go in, because that's, that's what Jesus was talking about, the throne. This is Zeus' throne right here. When the Romans uh, changed the name from Zeus to, to Jupiter, by the way. How many live in Jupiter, Satan's throne? Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Jupiter's why uh, I think it's Juno, too, right? So move out of Jupiter. Anyway, and Juno, I'm just kidding. So, I really am. Just kidding. We didn't come. Listen, actually, this is what the word's declaring here. I'm bringing my two-edged sword right up in Satan's throne room. Send me, Lord. I'll go. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going alone. I'm not going powerless. I'm going with an arsenal. The weapons of my warfare, they are not carnal, but they are spiritual. They are mighty in God and pulling down strongholds. Strongholds keep people from the knowledge of God. And when we come across those strongholds, we're going to tear them down with the word of God and with prayer. And we're going to punish everything, everything that keeps people from the knowledge of God. So we're just not coming into a place unarmed and unprepared. We're coming with the very word of God. They were where Satan dwells, and what he reminds them of is his word. 
He brings out this sharp two-edged sword to deal with the height of demonic activity. I want you to turn to Matthew 4, please. So we're going to see Jesus, real life, on earth. And now we're, we're, we're in Revelation again. This is the resurrected Jesus. And both times, encountering Satan himself. And both times, it's the same thing. Matthew 4, 1, when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, so he's attacking the identity, by the way. Satan wants to attack your identity. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Verse 4, but Jesus answered, it is written. I'd like you to highlight that in your Bible, if you would, please. Jesus doesn't argue. Jesus doesn't talk about what somebody says. Jesus doesn't come back. Do you know who I am? I'm the very son of God. You better realize before you recognize. He didn't do that. Why not? He was the word that became flesh. He knows God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock. He knows that the word of God is living and active and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can pierce and divide and separate. Jesus, Jesus He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you think more about your three meals of food than your three meals of the word of God every day? Just a question. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. But deal with it. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said to them, verse 6, Matthew chapter 4, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting uh, uh, Psalm 91, and so Satan is now using scripture on Jesus, probably a bad move. This is why for you need to be very, it's, it's very important. You need to be like the Bereans. When the apostle Paul came, they heard what Paul said, who was an apostle. They didn't just say, oh, this guy's an apostle. I'm going to listen to what he says. No, they heard what he said. They honored him, but then they went to the scriptures. And the Bible speaks of the Bereans in Acts 17 as they are more noble. They walk with a nobility. Somebody gives a word, you test it. You test it. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's me or your grandma or bishop so-and-so. Do not despise prophecies, but test them, First Thessalonians 5, hold fast to what is good. You know why? Because sometimes it might not be good. Sometimes we can get our flesh mixed up in things that we're saying to people. And this is why you're here today, because I believe the word of God is going to take its rightful place in this church here. That's just been my cry, my prayer, right? A good speaker. Hey, this is the application, the conclusion, the three points that support. uh, uh. Listen, here it is. God, we repent. Because. Psalm 138.2 says, you've honored your word above your name. Wow. Oh, God, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't honored your word. 
on par with your name. I, I, I actually have a hard time reading your word. I, I actually read other books more than I read your word. I actually put more stock in going to see my counselor than I do just opening up the Bible and saying, Holy Spirit, come be my wonderful counselor. I have a greater expectation if I could just take this class And guys, listen, listen, I've been repenting all week I've been dwelling in this text. You know how many books I'm reading right now? Like 20. And they're all for some reason like three or four chapters in. And anyway, (laughs) pray for me. But in all seriousness, guys, 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 listen. But if I could just go through this program, if I could just take this class, if I could just go see this counselor, if I could just get this guy to lay hands on me, and here you're holding the very breath of God, the very word of God, and it's a dishonor to God. Jesus is dealing. (laughs) So let me just finish this. Help me, God, to finish. Verse 8, Matthew 4. So Jesus, I want you to highlight in verse 7, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. You've got to know the word of God because even Satan knows the word of God and he's going to use it against you. In my life, the verse where it says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. The enemy would use that in my life a lot because the enemy can see what I'm doing and all of a sudden this guilt and shame would come over me well I guess I don't love God because of what I'm doing and I didn't understand the grace of God church please listen the grace of God is this Obviously, Jesus, I don't love you so that I want to obey your commands. I don't love you enough. And I'm sorry for that. But I keep doing this. But God, change me. I want to love you so much that I'm not going to be like a dog returning to my vomit anymore. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me, God, so that I walk in your way, so that I love your words, so I get to the place where you say, my commands, they're not burdensome. My commands are not burdensome. My yoke, my teachings are easy. My burden is what? Light, come and learn from me. Listen, if you're like the commands of God are too strong, they're too hard, it's just too much. No, that's wrong. His commands are so good. They're so right. They bring freedom. It's the fact that we don't honor his commands. That's why we're struggling. We love ourselves and not his commands. His word. His word above everything. And I don't care what you're bound with. I don't care what you've been dealing with. Listen, I don't care if some doctor said over your life, you have social anxiety disorder. Listen, that can end today. It can end today. It can end today if you say, Jesus, you're in me. And you don't have social anxiety disorder. In fact, all these people here that I'm afraid of, I need your perfect love to come in and cast out that fear. So I embrace the cross and I just go to them. For God so loved the world, the love of Christ compels me. Romans 5, 5. The Holy Spirit, has the agape of God has been poured out, past tense, in our heart so that we get moved and motivated by love. But I'm not yet, I'm not there yet, God. I need you. I need you, Dad. I press in with my social anxiety disorder. I'm not discounting what the doctor said. I'm just saying, okay, what do you want to say about that, Jesus? And and, and so he may come and heal you right here today because he can do that. 
He called Lazarus out of the grave. But he also may be calling you into a process where, Romans 12, renew your mind. And you got to grab hold of the word of God so that you begin to think and feel and believe. This is what the word says. Well, this is how I feel. Nope, this is what the word says. This is how I feel. Nope, this is what the word says. This is what the word says. This is what the word says. So that his word is above every word. Every feeling, every thought, every emotion. Guys, this is discipleship. This is where the battle is. And look at Jesus again. It is written in verse 7. I want you to go down to verse 10. Jesus responds back to Satan again for the third time. What does he say? Be gone, Satan. It is written. When Jesus was on earth, flesh and blood, he responded with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. He's now resurrected, and he's coming into a church where there's mixture. There's mixture. And he's coming in with the sword that comes out of his mouth. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 3, please. I want to start in verse 15. Here's Paul writing the last book, the last book that he ever wrote. The Holy Spirit speaking through him. He's writing it down and he's talking to Timothy, his his guy, his man that was at the church at Ephesus, by the way. And he says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You want to highlight that sacred writings, right? Sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. Understand, listen, Adam, God created Adam, and then what did he do? He breathed into him, and Adam became alive. Scripture has that power to make you alive. It is the breath of God. It is the breath of God. It is the breath of God. It's breathed out by God. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Who needs correction here today? Come on. Yeah, me too. So, correction, training in righteousness. Training. Listen, you don't go to church. You're in training today. You're like, Chris, settle down. No, I'm not going to settle down. Do you know how I used to coach basketball? The same way. What are you doing? Get back on D. Come on. And it's all love, guys. It's all love. It's love. It's love. 17, you want to highlight this? So that the man of God or woman of God, shout out to the ladies, may be complete. I want you to highlight that. Complete. Complete. That means lacking nothing. Equipped for every good work. Oh, boy. Highlight every. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say once you take that class. It doesn't say once you go to that college and get that degree. It doesn't say that. It says, Scripture, it's here for you to be able to do everything. 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 The problem is, We don't believe it. We don't honor his word because we don't believe it. I think I need this book. I think I need this thing. I think I need this class. What if the people of God start rearranging their life around the word of God and begin to do what it says? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine? Every good work, every good work, every good work. Everything that God will ever call you to do, (laughs) 
It's, it's Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Once you go to verse 14, Revelation chapter 2. But I have a few things against you, Jesus says. So, Jesus, you're here with us amongst the midst of the lampstands. Do you have anything against us this morning? We know that your eyes, flame of fire, you see past all the facade, all of the religiosity sometimes we walk in. Do you have anything against us? Search me and know my heart. And Jesus says this, I have this against you. You have there. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet. If you want to do some homework, Numbers 22 through 25, Balaam was a prophet for hire. He taught Balak, and Balak was the king. And so it's amazing that Pergamum, you're using this example, of prophet for hire was hired by the king that brought temptation and mixture and a stumbling block. You see it right there in verse 14? Into the children of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. We live in a day and age where voices are coming in. And and, and notice, you see that word practice? Some of us may want to highlight that. Your sexual, listen, It's not sexual identity, it's a practice. It's a practice. When you read Romans 1, it's a practice there. When you read uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, it says, such were some of you that that you used to practice these things, right? Uh, 1 John 3, it says, hey, this is how we know who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. No one who's been born of the holy seed of God can continue to practice sin because God's seed remains in him. And so whatever you're doing, listen, there may be people here, you're living with your boyfriend right now. Listen, if you're living with your boyfriend right now, he's not ready to lead you because he's not leading you in the ways of God. You need to get out. We can't have sexual immorality in the church. You hear things. Oh, man, God's just, he's full of grace. He understands us. It's okay. He, he, he knows. I'm covered by the blood. I'm covered by the blood. I mean, you can't really expect to, to be holy, right? No, no, no. Jesus, he, he raises the bar. If you even look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. He wants a church without mixture. He wants a church that is holy. He wants a church that is pure. This is what his blood died for. This is what he came to do. And we have so much mixture in our churches today. And it's got to stop. God is holy. He is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. Does God understand? Yes, he understands our weakness. But he also says, come out and be separate from them. And be holy as I am holy. But I can't do that because I love myself. I know you love yourself. It's about time you acknowledged it. Chris has said it like three times now. And you're finally saying, I'm just kidding. Verse 16. Jesus says, repent. Repent means to think again. Used to think one way, now think another way. Repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them. Notice the phrase, them. There were false teachers in the church, false doctrine, polluting the church. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to war against them. This is not an idle threat from Jesus. He meant it. He does not like the compromise in his church. He does not like the mixture. He does not like the false prophets peddling prosperity gospel getting rich off Jesus he does not like the sexual immorality that's coming in he does not like that be careful of those who teach that Jesus is threatening this church here 
Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, hear. I can't hear without you, Jesus. Please help me to hear. Help me to hear. To the one who conquers. I want you to highlight that. The one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna. So there was hidden manna in the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was. But also in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, to the one who conquers, I'm going to give myself. I'm going to give a part of myself to you. And then he says, I will give him a white stone. And the Roman times, when you would come out of a judicial court, when the verdict was rendered, there would be a white stone for not guilty and a black stone for guilty. And Jesus is saying, I've already rendered the verdict to you, not guilty. Not guilty. And there's a name on that which no one knows except the one who receives it. I want you to turn to Revelation 19.12. And you're going to see in Revelation 19.12 the same language here. When you are sons and daughters of God, understand it's more than you even know. And I pray this encourages your heart. Look at what Revelation 19.12 says. And he has a name written on that no one knows but himself. So that stone with a special name from God, no one knows but him. No one knows but him, and you're going to know it. He loves you. You see the phrase there, I will give, I will give, I will give. The heart of Christ, I will give manna, I will give a stone. His desire is to give. He is the giver of life. He is the giver of love. His desire is to give. He wants to give. He is good. When the prodigal son came home, God said, hey, hey, here's what I want you to do. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. Put a shoe. I want to give, 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 give. This is who our God is. And he gave these letters to the seven churches because he wants to give and he wants to show himself for who he is. I had you highlight the place to the one who conquers, and I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. The plane is circling. They are calling him home on the tower. When I was in China speaking to the underground church, they did not want us to stop, but it's a different, different culture here. <laughs> and I want to respect that. Romans 8, 37. Know in these things we are more than conquerors. Oh, highlight that, please. Same language that's used in Revelation 2. Revelation 2, where Jesus says in verse 217, to the one who conquers. So, okay, that's not computing for me, Chris. No, in these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither life, death, angels, rulers, this present age, this present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we do here? Jesus says to the one who conquers, I will give, I will give, I will give. But here, Romans 8 says that we are more than conquerors. So which one's true? Here's the deal. They're both true. This is a paradox. Two things that seem to conflict, but they're actually going the same direction. So listen up very closely because this is important for your discipleship. More than a conqueror means this, that I've already won before I engage in battle. The battle is the Lord's, it is finished, I have won. Every situation, every struggle, every problem that I'm currently in, the reality is whether I'm walking in it or not, I am more than a conqueror because that is what's been declared over my life. And nothing can separate me from the love of God, not even myself. And I've got to begin to believe that. 
I've got to begin to receive that over every other word. So, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. There's that sword again. By the way, it's also in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God, it's, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it separates soul and spirit. What does soul mean? Soul means this, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Apart from God, as human beings, we walk this earth, and we think thoughts, that's our mind, we think things all the time, all the time. I'm always on my mind, I don't know about you, but then thoughts, then, 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 then feelings and emotions. I have all kinds of emotions that are there. And so in my soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions, the will, the will, the will. Jesus said, not my what? Will, but yours be done. And so Jesus had a will, but he submitted his will to God's will. So this is important for us because we've got to be people that say, man, I feel like this. But God, how do you feel about this? I'm having these thoughts. What does your word say about these thoughts? God, I want to do this. This is what I want to do with my life. Oh, yeah, that's right. My life's not my own. It was bought with a price. Okay, I want to do this. What do you want me to do? Not my will, but yours be done. And the word of God, the word of God, it has the power to separate soul and spirit and to divide that out. But we walk every day just thinking, oh, these thoughts, these beliefs, these opinions, these things from culture, they just come into us and we just take them in. No, no, listen, this is why Ephesians 6 is important. Hey, put up your shield of faith so you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. The evil one is shooting at you every day. And if you don't put up your shield of faith to put out those darts, you're going to get stuck. And how many of us are stuck? Hopelessness can be in us so that we feel like I'm never going to change. I've been there, guys. Such dark places. God, I'm always going to be like this. I'm never going to change, God. Why am I, what is wrong with me? And just beating myself up. But then I open up the word of God to Philippians 1, 6, and it says this. It says, be confident, Chris, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. But God, I feel like this. Well, are you going to let your feelings dictate what I say? Are you going to begin to be confident and celebrate and dance like Delita? Woo! Yeah! Ah, I'm going to be complete. He's going to do it. He's the author and finisher of my faith. What he starts, he will complete. He's the perfecter, so I don't have to do it. I'm just along for the ride as he does it. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. Old picture, teach, Old Testament teaches us how this stuff really goes. Worship to me, come up, please. Oh, man, I need a stretch. Where's that guy that brings the towel out? You know what I'm saying? We don't, we don't have one of those here, man. Anyway. Please get this. Please get this, guys. Please. Please. See, this is why the word has to be here. God spoke to the children of Israel, said, take this land. The spies come back. Ten out of twelve said, no way, Jose. Those guys are too big. And those people, because they didn't believe in the word of God and what God declared and began to walk out on what God declared, they all died in the wilderness. So God gives us the land. God says in Joshua 1.3, everywhere your foot treads, I've given that to you, Joshua. Everywhere? Yeah, everywhere. But guess what? Joshua had to battle. He had to fight. He had to take the land. And here's the deal. When they went to Ai, all of a sudden, they lost. Why did they lose? Because there was mixture in the camp. There was sin in the camp. 
And they lost that battle because God is a holy God. And it grieved him and his children suffered loss. God gave commands to Joshua in chapter 1. You probably ought to read chapter 1 of Joshua. He says, hey, don't let the book of this law, Joshy, Joshy, my boy, don't let the book of this law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Don't look to the right or to the left. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what this class says. I don't care what this doctor says. I don't care what this says. Don't look to the left, to the right. And if you do that, if you do that, you will have success wherever you go. Be bold, be strong, banish fear and doubt because I am with you and you will take this land. You will take this land, Joshua. Christian, you are called to conquer everything in Christ Jesus. Every problem, every issue, every trial, your marriage falling apart, God doesn't care. He is going to do things. He's going to do things. Now, he does care, but you know what I'm trying to say? Help me, God, to land the plane. This is, this is it, guys. You're more than a conqueror, but you got to begin to believe that as if it's true. I never thought I could conquer my pornography addiction till I met a guy who was free from that for three years. I'll never forget the moment and the day. And I said, wow, three years? I didn't think that that was possible. And hope began to arise. I got accountability, prayer. I began to memorize God's word. That there's no temptation, no temptation that's overtaken me. That's what's then what's common to man. But when I'm tempted, he always provides a way of escape. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know why you don't look for that way of escape, Christopher Ryan Tress? It's because you love yourself and you want to do what you want to do. Yeah. Ugh. Jesus, I'm so sorry. Put in me a heart that will say yes to that way of escape. The, a heart that says, oh, God, do not lead me into temptation. And let me tell you something. For a guy that used to give into that three times a day, I've been free for 20 years now because of Jesus and believing that who the Son sets free is free indeed. I've been freed by his blood. My mind's been renewed. The power of the Holy Spirit is here but the word of God is honored, honored. We got to be a place that honors the word of God, honors the word of God so that that is true over every other truth. Don't suppress your feelings, but bring them up to the light of God's word and invite the Holy Spirit to take his sword and to cut what does not belong. Father, We do ask you to forgive us. And myself included, I'll go first. I just, it's your word, God. It's your word. Revive my heart again. Your word is a fire in my bones, God. Come and burn away, God, with your word. Separate out, God. My mind, my will, my emotions so that I can think what you think, feel what you feel. And my will would be completely given over to you. May the word of Christ dwell richly in this place. May we walk in your word so much that, that we become like you, the word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. May we be people of the book, meditating with a passion and remembering that, Jesus, you said, my words I give you so that you will have joy full joy. And so, God, we place by faith your word above every area of our life, every thought, every feeling, every emotion, everything that culture says. No, your word, your word, God, your word above everything. And help us to continue to walk like that. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.